0: A lot of people in the tech industry have a morbid fascination with not just living healthier or living longer, but actually defying death. The quest for immortality, of course, is one of the driving causes of humanity, underlying many religions, which often pose an afterlife where consciousness survives. Ashley Vance, you track down someone in Russia who says you don't need faith to believe in
1: immortality, but science. Back in October, I traveled to Russia just outside of Moscow to meet this guy named Danila Medvedev. He's the CEO of a company called CryoRus, which specializes in cryonics, or freezing your body as you await a cure to an illness or a better future. So
0: he's serious about this. He is freezing people in the hopes that they can be revived at a
1: later date and live forever. He's dead serious about it. Very good. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about Danila. What is he like? He's this dude who had sort of a traditional background. He had studied economics. He was a bit of an academic. And then like a lot of these people do, he had a revelation that he wanted to do something else with his life. He got super into technology. And now he's taken it to this very extreme conclusion where he's got the cryonics operation and he's also the leader of Russia's transhumanist movement. So those are people that want to augment their body to take in as much technology as possible and really become what I would think of as kind of a, a cyborg or a half human, half machine. And he is, for all intents and purposes, the, the spiritual leader of this movement in Russia.
0: Now, over the last year, you've traveled around the world for your video series, Hello World, and you've met a lot of eccentric technologists.
1: Where does Daniela rank? Yeah, so I've got the eccentric engineer and then the guys like Elon Musk and Steve Jobs who are these charismatic figures of technology movements. But I would say he is the only one I've run across that is a true religious figure. He's the Pied Piper of transhumanism in Russia and he's got this combination of the technology that he's selling, some technology that he's developing, and then he gives all these speeches around town all the time, and, and all these people show up and and really buy into his movement and, and to that end. And he's an original character. He's very eccentric, he's very smart, he is charismatic, and, and he's a one of a kind.
0: Let's listen to Danila here on the Russian transhumanist movement.
2: In the Russian transhumanist movement, we have three goals. So first is uh, immortality, uh, then omnipotence, like complete upgrade of of, all the intellectual and physical capability, and the safe singularity. Real transhumanism is not built on hope. Transhumanism is built on uh, suffering, breaking yourself in the process, and rebuilding yourself. Time has come for people to accept that uh, death is no longer about just dying and being buried in the ground, but it's really about choice.
0: Hi, I'm Brad Stone. And I'm Ashley Vance. And this week on Decrypted, as we sit on the precipice of 2017, still locked in our mortal coils, we're taking you to Russia to meet the futuristic scientists and entrepreneurs looking for a way
1: to cheat death. We'll take you through the technology they're developing, what eternal life might feel like, and how far they've got with turning their sci-fi ideas into reality.
0: By the end of this episode, as long as you're comfortable with the idea of a company storing your decapitated head in liquid nitrogen, maybe even you too can live forever.
1: So back in October, I traveled to Russia, just outside of Moscow, to a suburb called Sergei Posad. You drive down this little neighborhood. There's little houses there. It looks kind of picturesque, idyllic. And you turn down this one driveway and there's this big white warehouse and inside of that there's these two giant vats
0: now i was curious about this is it advertised outside of the warehouse what
1: the horrors that are inside no you would have no idea that your neighbor is freezing bodies and heads of humans and animals next door and the neighbors were quite curious when we showed up to film all this stuff
0: now are these people who have died or who are on the brink of of death who are opting for this route
1: The ones in the vats are already dead. He's this company, Roost, that Danilo runs, has attracted wealthy people from all over the world. Basically, if you want to freeze yourself, you can only do it in two places today. In the United States, there's two companies that do this, and Russia is the second option. And so you do get people from all over the world, but a lot from Europe and Asia. And so far, they have about 60 people who have chosen to freeze themselves. It's a mix of half of that is heads, and half of that is the full body. You get a discount if you just do the head. It's about $16,000 for the head, $36,000 for the body. This is
0: probably the wrong time to advise parental guidance for this episode of Decrypted.
1: <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's an optimistic sort of thing. And uh, This is a one-time fee, by the way. To uh... it's, it's a one-time fee, and you, you've got to hope that, that CryoRuse keeps its funding going for eternity. And the funny thing, I thought, as well, in these vats that I saw... Were that there were a mix of animals, so people also freeze their beloved pets, and there were dogs, there were some, cats. There was a chinchilla. There was a chinchilla. There was a parakeet. Wait, what is the story behind the chinchilla? Did you find that out? Same thing as with everybody. It's, it's some pet that they just couldn't. A beloved let go of.
0: chinchilla, beloved parakeet, uh, being frozen for one day when they can be revived.
1: Exactly, and the uh, the setup is you've got these two big tanks, and to keep the head, extra cold, the heads are placed near the bottom of the tank. And so if you've got your body in there, you're hanging upside down with your your feet up top and your head down near the bottom.
0: Uh, it sounds like this movement is getting a little bit of traction in Russia.
1: It is. So Russia has this long history. It's about 200 years long of searching for immortality. There were these philosophers that wrote about it during the 1917 revolution. A lot of the Rhetoric behind the revolution was was the merging of science and people and that that science would keep Russia strong and that carried on All through the Soviet era and then today CryoRus has about 60 paying customers and I think it is the only Cryonics company that its business is, is expanding rapidly.
0: Wow, here's Danila again talking a little bit about the underpinnings of the movement in Russia
1: You
2: can kind have of thought of Transhuman projects uh, by yourself. You have to get a lot of people. And the best way to do it is just to show them this grand vision, uh, this idea of uh, cosmic development, and uh, then this all fits together. Uh, of course, we want to make Chronics. Uh, uh, totally accessible and uh, available to everybody, because it just makes a lot of sense, and uh, it shouldn't be expensive, it should be uh, cheap and available to everybody by default. So that's what we want to see in uh, in 20 or 30 years. Uh, In addition to that, we want to have uh, clinical uh, applications of chronics, uh, the hypothermia technologies, so that you can just stop a human and then restart it
0: and uh, do that uh, as you can do with computer programs. Ashley, let me ask you, the people that opt for this uh, treatment,
1: have they already passed away or are they near death? It's a mix of people that sign up for this kind of thing. There are older people who are closer to dying who sign up, and and for the most part, those are the ones that are in the vat. But as part of this transhumanist movement, you see tons of young and middle-aged people that come to hear Danilo speak at at these lectures. And for the most part, What I tended to notice is that they're technophiles. They're people who are just super into technology. They tend to be quite free thinking. Um, It was like a real mix, though, of of women and men, which I was impressed by. It wasn't just a bunch of dudes in this conference room listening to this guy. And I think it's the kind of people that that believe in stuff that you hear about, like the singularity and, and that we're heading to this more glorious future where man and machines merge and your brain is augmented by computers and we can do all these fantastic things that we can't do today. So half the people want to cure some kind of illness and they want to just come back when we've got a cure to that. And then half the people really want to see what the world is like in the future.
0: I'm curious, did you get the sense that uh, transhumanism is more mainstream in Russia than it is in the United States?
1: It's hard for me to say for sure because I've oddly covered the transhumanist movement in the United States and I tend to to follow a lot of these people, especially there's a lot of overlap with singulitarians, people who believe in the singularity and the transhumanist. The Russian version of this, it was very passionate. They have a, there's like a romance in Russia that I think is missing in the United States. In the U.S. it tends to be very pragmatic and scientific and this silicon valley logical thing of course we would want to live forever if we can and if we have these tools to do it let's do it russia it really did have this romanticism to it and it sounds vague but a poetry i mean it comes from this background this philosophical background of things they believe in and i think the culture there they've been steeped in this link between science and society in a different way than we have been in the states And, and to me. It was, I'd say it's almost refreshing. I, I liked it more there. Did you ask Danila if he plans to freeze himself? He definitely plans to freeze himself, and he lives this very rigid lifestyle today to try and... He's saving up, obviously, for the expense. He is. And he, it's, he lives a very frugal lifestyle, and then he does things like he he dyes his hair because he doesn't want any gray hairs to pop up. He thinks that this is just all part of the transhumanist commitment. You have to fight aging any way you can.
0: So moving from cryogenics to augmenting the body with technology, uh, in, in the episode of Hello World, you, uh, you talked about an experimental operation where a surgeon inserted a chip from a credit card under the skin of someone's hand. It was actually sort of hard to watch.
1: Uh, made me a little queasy. Why, who was that and why were they doing it? Well, this is all part of Danella's empire, I would say, in Russia. So he has Cryorus and the Cryonics, but then he's also sort of a technology mogul in, in Russia. He's got this virtual reality software that he's working on. He told me that he's creating the most amazing database in the world that's going to put Oracle and all these other things that we have to shame, although he was a little shaky on the details of exactly how that would work. And then he's got these followers who wear things like brainwave monitors and this guy that you mentioned who put a chip into his hand. I have to
0: say that looked like an infection in the making to me.
1: I've seen other people do this kind of thing. This was the grossest one I've ever seen. The chip is bigger than a postage stamp and it's this big hunk of metal and it's not really a doctor who's putting it in it was some guy with huge plug earrings that they found and all these tattoos and he's sitting there and he slices the guy did not look like a hygienic environment i have to say at all and they they slice this guy's hand open and they shove this huge metal chunk in there and the entire purpose of this was just so that the guy could use it like a credit card when he goes to the store and just like you would tap your phone to pay for something he just taps his hand but it's all a symbol was there technology there or was it just a sort of audacious uh, experiment i think it was actually like a nfc chip but the stuff all looks silly but it's part of a statement they're trying to make which is we're willing to already go through these things to adapt our body with whatever we have available to us do you know if the hand worked with apple pay <laughs> It's only Google, I think. Google Wallet.
0: (laughs) So transhumanists also have some interesting ideas about how human nature needs to change, how humans will need to learn utmost self-control if they're ever going to be able to harmonize with machines. And I want to play another clip of Danila here. It was probably my favorite scene from the interview. Transhumanism
2: is about self-control. We should strive to be perfect in every way. Food is, uh, is horrible. And we have some projects um, uh, in the Russian transhumanist movement to actually get rid of food. Sex is really overrated. And uh, once we move from this biological uh, existence to a more machine-like existence, uh, we'll forget about sex uh, very quickly. In humans today, love is essentially an addiction.
1: Do you love your wife?
2: Yes, I do love my wife, but I realize it's really extremely dangerous uh, because love is unpredictable, and uh, just one step from love is hatred. If we can fix that, uh, it doesn't really matter that we become a different species. What matters is uh, we can finally be happy, productive, creative. We can control what we want to do.
0: So, Ashley, how do you think Danila's uh, wife
1: reacted to this interview? She actually runs CryoRus with him. And, was uh, she present when he said that? <laughs> she wasn't, but I, I think she's also a believer in all these things that he says. I'm curious, what was going through your head as Danila was telling you all this? I'd done some research on him beforehand, so I actually knew a little bit of what was going to come. And I knew that if I asked him about sex, love, and food, he was going to give me these very utilitarian answers back. It is funny having this guy sit across from you and be married, have this wife, and even have this business with her and and tell you that loving her is is some sort of horrible thing that he's trying to get over. I have to say as a marketing line,
0: Love is essentially an addiction Is probably not the most successful. He might need to work on that a little bit. I mean, how much is tongue-in-cheek? Does he really think he can get rid of these fundamentals
1: of human relationships? He does think that, and he thinks it's necessary for transhumanism. I could never quite figure out why. I mean, when he would describe getting rid of love and sex and food, to me, you're just left wondering what's left. I mean, If you're going to live forever or even if you're going to enjoy technology... It's like, what's the point of doing all this stuff if, if you're not going to have these most basic pleasures that, that humans really gravitate towards? Yeah, he towards. talks
0: about being freed up to be happy, creative, productive. But right, what, is, what does that mean without the context of relationships?
1: That was the part I could never figure out. And to me, he never even gave me a really good answer as to what exactly we're striving for. He was funny. He would talk about transhumanism as not being for the masses it is for this select group of people who are willing to make these sorts of sacrifices who are willing to put chips in their body willing to give up food and love and he sees them as the people that will really carry the human species forward and so if you're not willing to do all this stuff he doesn't really care he's not trying to build some elixir for everybody it's you commit to this lifestyle, and you become part of the the chosen few who will carry on forever.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. There is a little bit of a tension between the company's need to propagate these ideas as widely as possible, and yet here he is talking about how really he's viewing it as something uh, for his friends. So, Ashley, make the connection here between the Russian transhumanist movement and the stuff closer to home in Silicon Valley from folks like Peter Thiel that we've been talking about over the last few years. Do you think there's a a connection there?
1: Are some of these ideas similar? Yeah, I think for anybody who lives in Silicon Valley and follows this kind of stuff, it's all very familiar. You have companies, very serious companies, ranging from Google to Illumina that makes all these gene sequencing machines and Craig Venter who decoded the genome pursuing projects to basically end death. They're trying to do all kinds of new mapping of DNA and new scientific techniques to figure this out but there is this fascination with immortality. I guess so many of these guys come from the sci-fi world and that's what they grew up reading and you see it, right? They, they get into flying cars and spaceships and things like that and I think this is is the next stage of all that. Humans, on the whole, have been fascinated with immortality, obviously. <laughs> you know, for good reason, for a very, very long time, and I think now there's this feeling in the valley that we may actually be close to doing this. Well, and part of that
0: is that they think that we're close to something called the singularity, right? If you can just extend life a little bit more, you can get to this magical moment where immortality becomes possible. But for the uninitiated, tell us what
1: the singularity is and, and why we should be hoping to reach it. The singularity is supposed to be that moment where you could say computers get as smart as human beings. And once they reach that point, they begin to improve themselves and go at this astronomical rate where computers are getting better and better all the time and and far exceed the intelligence of humans. And the hope is that somehow humans get taken along on this ride and you could, say, download your brain into a machine and live forever that way in this glorious computer-run future. So that's one vein of all of this. Then there's the science vein along the way, which is to keep us living long enough to reach that point.
0: I'm curious if Danila was in the United States and and his uh, his frozen vat operation was outside of uh, Washington D.C. Would he be as accepted as he is in Russia now?
1: I don't think so. I, th- I think if the average American went to see his operation firsthand, it would strike you as kind of crude, and I don't think a lot of people would put their money into something like that. On the other hand, he is an impressive guy for all the joking you do and and some of the stuff that he does. This seems very strange. He's extraordinarily bright. He's extraordinarily persuasive. He has an answer for almost everything you do. We posted this video on YouTube. And I see him in the comment section going to battle with all the people, and and he handles them. He you know he doesn't attack them when they say he's a freak or anything like that. He just says, "Why do you think that?" And here's the reasons why I think this. And and he tries to persuade people to his vision. And I met a handful of people there who had changed their lives because this guy had come around. I don't really uh, want to
2: replace humanity with post humanity. I mean. Like other people, I want everybody to be happy, but I don't want everybody to be post-human. I want myself to do that, my friends to do that, uh, maybe thousands of people, maybe tens of thousands. I don't want everybody to believe that there will be utopia, which I build for you. Maybe, maybe not. uh, Don't hope for that.
1: Well,
0: now the moment of truth for this episode of Decrypted. Ashley, would you yourself consider freezing your body and becoming a cryonics customer?
1: I did think about this more after going to Moscow and seeing this thing firsthand. I think what I've decided is I really wish I could freeze myself at 25, or at least if I'm going to live forever. That ship has sailed, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) If if I'm going to live forever, I want to be 25-year-old me living forever. I definitely don't want to be 80-year-old me with all these issues that that just linger forever. On the other hand, I will tell you this, you know, it's 36,000 bucks to freeze your body or about half that to freeze your head. If I was at the end after seeing these operations, do I think it will work? Probably not, but I would pay that to to try. What would you do?
0: I think uh, as much as I'm sort of unsettled by the whole idea and um, kind of freaked out by it, I think that if I was facing the choice, I'm so curious about what the future holds, if there's even a small percentage that it would work, I might consider
1: it. It's it's the logical thing to do, I think. And that's it for this week's
0: Decryptive. Thanks for listening. And tell us what you think of this strange world of cryonics.
1: Would you want to live forever? I'm on Twitter at, at Bradstone. And I'm at Valley Hack. And be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And leave us a rating or a review. That's what helps listeners find our show.
0: You can check out Ashley's Hello World video series at Bloomberg.com/slash Hello World. Think of this podcast as just a little taste what Ashley discovers in the
1: episode. Believe me, it gets a whole lot creepier in the video. And our last episode of the season is in Chile. It drops later this month, near the end of December. Today's
0: podcast was produced by Pia Gudkari, Magnus Henriksen, and Liz Smith. Alec McCabe is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week.